This is Archive Atlanta, episode 117, Kirkwood. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. This week, we're talking about Kirkwood. It's early as settlement history, community landmarks, and some historic events. I have to give credit where it's due. So Taylor from J. Rich Atlanta reached out to me on Instagram and he goes, what would it take to get you to the east side? And apparently, it takes a personalized tour of your neighborhood. Of course, I'm kidding. It's not the only way to get me out there, but I've spoken about this many times. I don't spend a lot of time on the east side, and so I'm just not comfortable or confident talking about those neighborhoods. And I want to be able to know what I'm talking about. So I don't like to share the history when I can't be like, oh yeah, you know that house on the corner or yeah, that, you know, that really funny building that's shaped this way. Like I, it just doesn't feel authentic to me to talk about something that I've never seen or I've never been to. So having Taylor walk me and my husband around Kirkwood was the perfect way to lessen this unfamiliarity. I even went back two weekends later to get one of those famous Sunday burgers from Evergreen Butcher and Baker. Um, And then we sat in Bessie Branham Park for like two hours. And let me tell you, I am totally hooked. Kirkwood is on my list of favorites. I am so excited to get back there to eat and walk and explore some more. And for all of you that call at home, you guys are lucky. So let's start with acknowledging that At one time, this was all home to the Muscogee and Creek. What is today, DeKalb County was ceded in the Treaty of Indian Springs in 1821. After natives were removed from Georgia, the state held land lotteries, where mostly white men, some women, put their name in a figurative hat and were given land, having only to pay a moderate fee to receive it. Modern-day Kirkwood was divided into five land lots, each 202 and a half acres, and they were owned by Anderson Baldwin, Lucretia Allen, who was a widow, Henry Britton, Katie Bailey, another widow, and Stephen Regden. Just two years later, DeKalb County was formed and Decatur made the county seat. So the first order of business when you create a county is you make roads. Decatur Street, Cab Avenue, which today marks the northern border of Kirkwood, was a wagon and a later stagecoach route that connected Decatur with Whitehall, which is today the West End. In 1845, the Georgia Railroad Company laid the tracks into Kirkwood along that northern edge, and now would be a great time to explain the changing boundaries of the neighborhood. So in this early period of Kirkwood's history, the boundaries extended all the way up into today's Lake Clare, and that makes things really confusing, especially because General Gordon, who we'll talk about in a minute, had his estate in modern-day Lake Clare, but in history, he proudly lives in Kirkwood. And I will do my best to be as clear as possible about what is today one neighborhood or another. Um, But at the very least, you can understand why I've avoided this episode, because a lot of these neighborhoods connecting um, have very fluid boundaries. So back to the train. While it did not signal a boom for Kirkwood population-wise, it did help the farmers that were living there in this area ship their goods to Atlanta for sale. The two most prominent landowners at this time were James Kirkpatrick and Jesse Clay. Kirkpatrick was born in Ireland. He moved to the U.S. when he was six and to DeKalb County in 1827. His plantation consisted of thousands of acres, and when he died in 1853, his estate was one of the largest and wealthiest. Unsurprisingly, 11 enslaved people were part of that wealth. Kirkwood was created from this plantation land, and so the name is believed to have been derived from the Kirkpatrick surname. Jesse Clay was a Virginia native and owned and operated 850 acres of dairy farms in what is today southwest Kirkwood, 
The Clay Farm was supposedly near today's Clay Street, and of course, we have the Clay Cemetery. And speculation is that the cemetery plot was chosen because it is on high ground, and it was near the homestead, which was thought to be the site of Gilliam Park. It's no secret how much I love cemeteries, but to those that raise a weary eye, it's really rare for a neighborhood to have this relic of kind of early settler past. I mean, think about it. None of these earliest settler homes or structures are still around, but people in Kirkwood are able to connect to this early history through this burial ground. It was, I say the word saved, it was, uh, you know, taken over by local residents in 2014 and cleaned up. It looks beautiful today. They do give sporadic tours. Um, I know there's usually one every year at Phoenix Flies. I've never been able to take it, but it is high on my list of things to do. After the Civil War and during Reconstruction, Kirkwood became a place for the Redeemers, those lawmakers not thrilled with the outcome of the war or the idea of black men in the legislature. Most famous among them was General John B. Gordon. Gordon is commemorated at the Georgia Capitol today with the only equestrian statue in the city of Atlanta. He was a Civil War Confederate general, but after the war in 1873, he was elected senator from Georgia while living in Kirkwood. Gordon's Greek Revival estate was called Sutherland, and it stood on 200 acres given to him by the Kirkpatrick family. And the Sutherland name might sound familiar, so those are street names in Lake Clare. And so this is, again, it's where it gets confusing. Um, that was land that he owned, that is today Lake Clare, but his house stood just over the train tracks in what was North Cook Kirkwood before, and again, Lake Clare today. Along with Gordon, there was Thomas Coke Howard, co-editor of the Atlanta Daily Intelligencer, the fifth postmaster of Atlanta, and executive secretary to Gordon and Governor Colquitt. There was Captain Vardy Sisson, who was a former Confederate a state legislator and alderman and the namesake of Sisson Street. Now, Kirkwood wasn't just all wealthy lawmakers. It was also wealthy farmers. The Robertsons, Howards, Dunwoodies, and Greens. Again, all street names that sound familiar. Um, and the Green Hess home is actually the oldest home in Kirkwood today. It's at 247 Howard Street. It's an 1870 folk Victorian. And it was home to Annie Kate Taylor and her husband, Dr. Alfred F. Green. So I got really into the history of this house, and I'm just going to give you a very brief story about it, but I've just found it fascinating. So Dr. Green's father founded Green & Sons. Um, it was like a patent medicine company. This was his second marriage. So he had three children that he brought into this. Um, they had children together. And this house, like all historic houses and old houses, it was the site of lots of happy times and lots of sad times. So there was parties and weddings and birthdays, but there was also death and funerals. In 1899... General Gordon's Sutherland caught fire. And so his good friend and closest neighbor, Dr. Green, runs over to help the family try to save their belongings, save their house. I guess in 1899, we didn't know that much about smoke inhalation because the next day Green fell ill and died a week later. He was only 41. In 1902, Kate Green married the Reverend Daniel Hess. Now, he's considerably older than her, but everyone's like, oh, he was in excellent health. Now, unfortunately, three years into their marriage, while returning home on the streetcar from a walk in Westview Cemetery, he died. And this leaves Kate, and again, the Green Hess home now makes sense, living in that house until downsizing to a smaller house at 230 Howard Street. Now, Kate would live until 1947. Um, both of those homes are still there. In 1871, the boys in the area were educated at the Kirkwood Academy, which was a boarding school just for boys, headed by Charles M. Neal. Just two years later, it's called Kirkwood High School, and then eventually it moved over to Little Five Points, and it was renamed the Moreland Park Military Academy. 
1875, there were 135 white inhabitants surrounded by beautiful landscapes. So they said there were just fish ponds and flower yards and orchids. A lot of, you know, great press about Kirkwood in the papers. There was no church yet, but the former governor, Colquitt, was a Sunday school teacher for all the neighborhood kids. My favorite weird little history tidbit was that in 1879, Kirkwood had a mania for whist. So whist was a really popular um, 18th and 19th century card game. And there was like tournament rivalries between Atlanta and Kirkwood and big names. So people coming from Atlanta to play, we're talking Henry Grady, Judge Hillier, um, Hoke Smith. These are all, again, like prominent politicians. And there was at least one article about a whole all-night tournament, um, Kirkwood versus Atlanta, and Kirkwood wins. In 1881, Dr. N.A. Pratt breaks ground on 85 acres for a factory in Kirkwood, where they would make sulfuric acid out of the iron pyrites. Put this under things you'll never need to know, but in those days, you apparently had to import sulfur from Italy. But Pratt had an idea to use local Georgia rocks, and it worked. But not so much. So two years later, Colquitt, um, Gordon, and Neal, so the big names in Kirkwood, file for an injunction against toxic gases. They did not want this business in their neighborhood. Now, this business gets revived later and becomes the Pratt Pullman Yard, but we will get to that. As early as 1888, the residents of Edgewood, Kirkwood, and Decatur were exploring annexation, mainly for better roads in and to their communities. But it's the streetcar that really changes things for Kirkwood. The first electric streetcar line arrived in 1891, called the South Decatur Line, and it was operated by the Metropolitan Street Railroad Company. This connected Atlanta to Decatur with a branch for Eastlake, and then it went through Kirkwood making multiple stops. Two years later, they got the North Decatur Line, running adjacent to the Georgia Railroad, today where MARTA is, and operated by the Atlanta City Street Railway Company. Just like Inman Park, which was being developed in 1890, there is Definitely a desire for wealthier white Atlantans to get out into the suburbs. And so the city at this time, you know, if you consider downtown the one mile radius, it was full of coal dust. It's full of dirt. There's lots of, you know, horse manure in the streets. Um, there's also a lot of black people moving in, which, again, pushing white people out to the suburbs to these exclusive, very coded and explicitly zoned white communities. Kirkwood's natural beauty, clean air, and three natural springs were used to sell future landowners. In 1892, South Kirkwood East End, which is today Eastlake, and Candler's Park, that's what it was called, were developed by the Atlanta Suburban Land Company. None of this was accidental. This corporation was formed in 1890. The same men involved in this and their friends were putting in the same streetcar line. And so they're selling lots like crazy all the way into the turn of the century. By December of 1899, Kirkwood decided to incorporate into their own little city. The governor of Georgia signs the bill, but those in opposition claim that the bill is not clear and they warn of an appeal. Colonel Milton Candler led the opposition, who cited that the boundary lines were vague and not defined. And attorney Reuben Arnold represented the citizens that wanted to incorporate. This was a huge drama. Comically, Kirkwood has a similar drama not too soon later. Um, But basically... By January of 1900, it goes back to court, then it goes to the Supreme Court uh, in February. But the best part is that the pro-incorporation Kirkwoodians did not care that this was in legal jeopardy, so they went ahead and elected their first mayor. Now, the Supreme Court says this isn't valid. 
it's a very interesting situation what happens really between 1899 and 1904. I don't know the exact details. So I don't know if they were operating with a government of some kind, but it is not official or legally official until 1904. Now, in 1904, when it incorporates as a city, the mayor's race was between John F. Bates, who they call up for re-election. So, it, you know, it sounds like they were having a mayor. And uh, J.D. Dunwoody. And Dunwoody wins. Two years after becoming their own city, Kirkwood Elementary is completed. Now, it's first designed by A.C. Bruce. Um, the first building was made with wood covered with brick. And then it was expanded in 1922 and then 1924, and 1928, and 1950, and 1964. So if you see it today, the former Kirkwood Elementary is a really interesting combination of different buildings and different styles, and it kind of tells the story of the neighborhood in this one place. 1906 is also the year that the son of N.A. Pratt expands on his father's initial business that got shut down over the fumes, and he builds the buildings that are today the Pratt Pullman Yard. There were some ownership and name changes, but the business operated until 1926 when it was purchased by the Pullman Company as their southeastern repair shop for passenger train cars. Now, that Pullman company was in operation until 1955. It looks like it was maybe vacant for a decade, um, and then it was purchased by the Southern Iron and Equipment Company. The expansion of this industry, though, along with the Atlanta Ice and Coal Company, really brought in a lot of worker housing. And you can see this in Kirkwood today, which I love. There's a ton of beautiful duplexes, and there's even triplexes especially in this older commercial corridor near the rail line. It's not until the 1920s that that commercial sector moves down to Hosea, but we'll get to that. So let's talk annexation. From 1904 until 1921, Kirkwood operates independently chartered town city, complete with a mayor, city council, fire, water systems, and schools. But there were benefits to joining the city of Atlanta limits, and Kirkwood residents were split into two camps, those for and those against. And those four thought that it would lower the cost, especially since Kirkwood at this point is pretty well developed. It had all similar services that were available in the city limits. So there was like an issue of like duplicating efforts and spending money we don't have to. Also, like 98% of the people living in Kirkwood worked in Atlanta proper. But there were issues like Kirkwood was too small to erect a gas plant, so there was no natural gas available there, and insurance was really high because they could only maintain a volunteer fire department. Children were also not allowed to attend APS schools or use Atlanta public libraries. There was a difference of opinion about whether the resolution should pass with a majority vote or a three-fifths majority required. And so there was also kind of a deal with Atlanta. If Kirkwood were to annex, Atlanta was going to assume all of Kirkwood's debts and agree to build two new schools, a fire station, and a city park, as well as repair and repave some streets. From the antis, there were concerns about some city services, mostly racialized zoning. So this is the year that racialized zoning is trying to be passed and kind of being struck down. And there was concerns of quote-unquote Negro encroachment. And let me just say, the annexation of Kirkwood could seriously be its own episode. So I am highly condensing the story right now, but there was just lots and lots of drama. The governor signs the annexation bill, but then it was legally contested with an injunction, which went on for months. And this decision goes all the way to the state Supreme Court. Finally, on January 1st, 1922... 
Kirkwood became the 12th Ward of Atlanta. A lot of neighborhood landmarks came in the 1920s. Uh, Fleming's General Store was built in 1924 on Howard next to the railroad. Um, and it's where you could get your groceries, meats, coal, ice, you know, all the things you might need. In the same year, the Masonic Lodge on Boulevard was built, which is today on Hosea, and it is used by the police precinct. The church buildings you see today, the beautiful Pentecostal church on Howard, um, that was built in 1925, originally for Kirkwood Baptist. The Ingram Temple Church of God, which is the small church on Hosea, was built in the 20s and previously St. Timothy's Chapel. And while these were built later, I'm just going to keep going with the churches. Uh, Turner Monumental AME Church was built somewhere between the 30s and 50s, which I know is a big time period. I think it was expanded. But the current congregation purchased that in 1966. Israel Baptist, which is the really large church on Hosea, was also built in that weird two-decade time period, but its congregation moved in in 1979. Bessie Brandon Park was opened in 1924 and named for the founder of the Kirkwood Civic League, which started in 1911, I think. Bessie was also a member of the Georgia Federation of Women's Club and a really prominent Kirkwood woman. The stone entrance you see today was unveiled in May of 1926. And by the 1930s, the park was home to the Sandlot baseball season. Sandlot baseball is something I just started researching more in depth. It's just a whole rabbit hole. There was 48 neighborhood teams in Atlanta. They all played each other, and it was a real source of neighborhood pride. So, you know, imagine Kirkwood playing Eastlake in baseball. Like, everybody would come, everybody would show up, and then a win was a really big thing to carry. World War II saw lots of changes in Kirkwood. The two-and-a-half-acre Gilliam Park was acquired in 1939, named for the former mayor. A red-brick colonial Carnegie Library was built in 1942, across from the park. Uh, before this, the only library was inside the school building, so it was a big deal for the neighborhood. It served as a library until the 1990s when they built the current one at the corner of Hosea, and today this is a private home. The Eastwood Post Office originally opened in 1930, run by Postmaster Ernest Titshaw. Um, it was replaced in 1949 by like a smaller substation. And then the mid-century one you see today was built in 1963. Now, um, Titshaw died just a year after this 63 one was built, which I feel it like sounds like a weirdly fitting coincidence. The Titshaw family also operated the service station, which later became Sims Texaco. As I've talked about in many episodes, the post-World War I period meant a huge housing shortage in Atlanta. And so to combat that, developers built smaller, infill housing that dot so many neighborhoods, Kirkwood included. It was also the time of redlining and denying African-American GIs access to federally backed mortgages and other benefits of the GI Bill. And this propels the start of white flight, the movement of white families out of the city into newer and further out metro Atlanta neighborhoods. Kirkwood's story of white flight was ignited by the Brown vs. Board of Education ruling. Murphy High School, which is today Alonzo Crim, was one of the first schools chosen to desegregate in 1961. And by 1966, it only had two white seniors remaining. In 1960, white Kirkwood residents formed a nonprofit corporation called Eastern Atlanta whose purpose was to buy real estate so that it could not be sold to black families. Essentially, they wanted to create a buffer zone between what they considered old white communities and, quote, rapidly spreading Negro communities, end quote. The West End had done something very similar in 1952, so this was not a new idea. 
That same year of incorporation, they purchased six homes, most on Paxson Avenue and um, Alder Court in Kirkwood, and then some in Candler Park. Also in 1960, a mobbed form outside of a home on Woodbine Avenue after a black mother and daughter had moved in. A rock was thrown through the kitchen window. This group was thankfully not really economically successful, so they tried to sell shares of the company, but in the end, the funds couldn't cover their real estate costs. And they also had a really hard time convincing white families to stay. Most of the white families just moved out. I talked about this in the Atlanta Schools episode, but even though the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed school segregation in 1954, Atlanta schools did not desegregate until 1961, and that was only the first step in a long, delayed desegregation process. Basically, the agreement was that each grade would desegregate each year. So if we're starting with the 12th grade in 1961, you can see how long they hoped this process would take. In 1964, Kirkwood Elementary was still all white and 750 students under capacity. In comparison, two nearby black schools were over capacity. In order to address this overcrowding without desegregating, about 200 black children were moved to an annexed church building in East Atlanta, but their parents were like, no. And with the help of the NAACP, they picketed in front of Kirkwood Elementary, demanding their kids be enrolled. Eventually, the school board, I think they realized that 1965 was already going to be the year that the elementary would desegregate. So they just agreed to desegregate all schools in January of 1965. And guess what happened in Kirkwood? Over one weekend, every single white child, except for seven, was transferred to another school, mostly East Lake Elementary. Also, all 18 teachers. So the 500 black children who walked into their new school on Monday were all by themselves. By 1967, Kirkwood was 95% black, but there was still a lot of work to do for Atlanta's African-American community, especially on the east side. Hosea Williams lived technically in Eastlake, but led the Confederation of DeKalb's Community Organizations, C-O-D-C-O. He fought against rezoning, commercial property ownership, school issues, like you name it, this man was doing it. In 1967, he invited Mayor Ivan Allen to tour Kirkwood to see how they had less city services. They weren't getting their trash picked up in time. They weren't having what other parts of Atlanta had. Fittingly, the city renamed Boulevard to Hosea L. Williams Drive in the year 2000. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's Kirkwood neighborhood. This is not the end-all be-all of this history. I did as much as I could do in my 20 minutes, but there is much more to this incredible place. I highly suggest that if you don't live there, you go visit. There's tons of small businesses to patronize as well as park space to hang out in. I took so many photos on my tour with Taylor, so make sure to follow along on social media. I'm going to hopefully be able to post more in-depth stories about each um, house or building that I took a picture of. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.